Amen. Y'all grab a seat this morning. Let me test this out. How are we doing today? It is almost fall. Only two more months of triple digits. And uh, it's like, it's too soon. It's too soon. Uh, welcome. So glad that you're here uh, at Redeemer. My name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead and the teaching pastor here. Uh, and I also have uh, just had the great uh, privilege to have some rest the last three weeks of uh, not preaching and uh, been at the office and working for sure. But uh, it's just good to be able to um, to sit and to listen and super grateful uh, for the guest preachers that have stepped in the last couple of weeks, but uh, I'm also really grateful and excited to be back. Uh, the problem is, is normally if I'm out for a few weeks, I, I grab a few of those minutes and just kind of try to add them in and just like, um, I, I hope you brought lunch because we could be here while I've got some catching up to do. Uh, a couple quick things before we jump into the text for today. Uh, first off, uh, just to let you know, and hopefully you already know this because you got a uh, somewhat of a save the date email from us a couple weeks ago, but very, very big, very important event in the life of Redeemer uh, coming up. We're having a vision and worship night on August 27th. Uh, and in that, we're going to be talking a lot about the future and uh, the land that we have and the building uh, that we're walking into building uh, and just a lot of very important things. So I'd really encourage you uh, to come and to be at that. We'll have more info on that coming out soon. Uh, as you probably know, uh, you know if you've ever been here or you found out when you walked in this morning, we're a portable church and we meet in this school and we have set up and tear down now every single Sunday uh, for seven and a half years, uh, and praise the Lord that he continues to grow, uh, and not praise the Lord, but one of the air conditioners in this room is out today, uh, so if you feel that, it's one of two things, okay? Uh, it's either you're, you're warm because it's warm in this room, or it's conviction of the Holy Spirit and uh, the sermon is working. Uh, just so you know, that is uh, a thing today. Um, also, if you are brand new, I know I met a handful of you this morning, uh, if this is your first time, or maybe you've been around a few weeks or a few months, uh, please let us know that you're here. One, we'd love to know who you are and meet you. Uh, two, we'd like to answer any questions that you may have about the church or how to get connected. And then three, we really would like to get a chance to connect you with some uh, some people and meaningful ministry here at Redeemer. Uh, the way that you can help us connect is you can text the word connect uh, to the number here on the screen uh, or on your way out, swing by the tent and let someone from the connections team know that you're new and they'll get you a digital connect card. Uh, also, if you want to know the things going on in the life of Redeemer, uh, you can text info to the same number, uh, and we send out uh, every Sunday morning uh, a list of things going on in the life of the church. All right, let me invite you, uh, if you would, to turn to Psalm 51. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, Psalm is Old Testament, but it's just about smack dab uh, in the middle of your Bible. Uh, Psalm 51, and fair warning, it's going to take us quite a bit of a ramp uh, to get there uh, for the next few minutes. Uh, but we're still walking through this series that for us is the summer teaching series, and we're calling it Christianity 101 uh, because we're trying to hammer out the very basics, uh, the foundational things about Christianity. Uh, and a few reasons why we're doing that. Uh, number one, if you're a Christian, and especially uh, if you're a covenant partner here at Redeemer, uh, we value living missionally and think that God wants us to leverage our lives to invite other people into the kingdom and to invite other people to church. And so as you're doing that, we want to continually uh, just make the gospel accessible uh, to people who are new to Christianity, uh, new to reading their Bible. And so part of the reason for Christianity 101 is to just nail down some very basic foundational things of 
Christianity for new people. And then secondly, it's just, it's always good to come back to the basics. Um, some of you have been following Jesus for a really long time, and to come back and be reminded about grace and about faith, they're, they're just so foundational, we can't ever get uh, beyond them. Um, so I'm back uh, in, uh, in Psalm 51, going through Christianity 101, and here's the question uh, that I want to pose and then spend the rest of my time this morning answering this question, and you're going to find out right out of the gate, this is highly applicable to everyone in the room. The question is this, what do we do when we sin? Okay, what do we do when we sin? How many of you ever sinned? Okay, so we got some sinners, and those of you who didn't raise your hand, you lied, so you're liars, so you're sinners. So it applies to everyone. This really is like the most accessible, applicable uh, topic that there is because uh, we, we all sin. So the question is, what do we do when we do that? And there's two categories of people. Every single one of us fit into one of these categories. And quite honestly, the answer to this question is the answer to both people, okay? The first category might be someone that would say, I'm not a Christian, uh, but uh, you have now come maybe, hopefully, Hopefully soon, hopefully today, maybe some of you, uh, the Holy Spirit makes you aware of God and his perfection and his holiness. And then through life and, and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we become aware that something in us is deeply, deeply broken. Uh, the Bible would call that sin. Uh, and so when you become, maybe for the first time, become aware that there's something going on in your heart um, that is causing problems in all of life, then the question for you is what do you do when maybe for the first time you realize um, that you're a sinner, okay? Um, then the second category would be people that uh, are Christians, uh, you've responded to the gospel, right? You believe, uh, at, at one point you believe that you were a sinner, uh, you put your faith in Jesus, asked him to forgive you, uh, trusted in his death in your place, saved, and then after becoming a Christian, true story, we still sin. What do you do as a Christian when you sin? Uh, it's actually the same answer that is applicable to both. And so that's what we're going to spend our time this morning talking through. Uh, speaking of sin, uh, I have three kids. And uh, some of them are in the room, so they'll get a different version than the first service. But uh, my wife and I have, have three kids, uh, 13, 10, and 8. Uh, and if you are a parent, if you have kids, if you've ever seen a little human, you know that uh, at some point uh, kids sin. And this is how we know something has happened in our house, right? Um, I kind of look at Hannah, she looks at me, and especially when they were younger, and you're like, it's kind of quiet in here. Is it quiet to you? Yeah, it's quiet to me. And we're both like, uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, it's not that it's not good. It's just not normal. Because you know, if like it's quiet, something happened and multiple people are probably hiding. Uh, because like when, when a kid sins against another, let's say, sibling or does something wrong, a lot of times uh, they'll, they'll go and they'll hide. Uh, and then uh, you kind of begin this search as the dad or as the mom to go find the little, uh, the little sinner in their in their closet or under their bed, and then you approach them, and then yeah, now you have this moment where, as a parent, you're hoping that they respond well um, to their sin, that they uh, own it, that they uh, confess it, that they uh, apologize to whoever they hurt, and then you begin to forgive, and then you begin to start fixing the relationship. Uh, but the moment that you find them in their sin, some things happen that really reveal uh, some things that are in the heart of all of us. Um, just kind of let me, let me take that metaphor uh, and use that a few times um, throughout the day because basically what you have uh, in, in, in kind of 
in, in the story of the gospel is you have a whole planet full of uh, sinners that are kind of, quote, hiding under their beds. Uh, and God decides that he needs to do something about it. Uh, so he sends Jesus, um, the, the word of God, uh, in flesh to humanity to come kind of confront us in our sin, and then there's just this huge question about when God meets us and confronts us with sin, uh, what do we do? Uh, And so the topic for today is repentance, okay? Everybody say repentance. No, that was pathetic. Everybody say repentance. You need to repent for the way that you said repentance. Uh, you know this about me. I need some help. Uh, and, I, and I hope after today, uh, you walk out with, with a whole different understanding of repentance. Because honestly, I think it, it's been shaded. It's been uh, tainted a little bit in our culture. And it's kind of seen as this like kind of uh, command that's mean and not real fun. And it, it's just not that at all. It is one of the most unbelievable gifts that God has given us is the opportunity to repent when we uh, sin. And so I hope, that, I hope that God truly does give us a new and a fresh and a beautiful understanding of just what repentance is. Uh, in the original language of the New Testament, which most of the time was Greek, um, the word repent, which is mentioned many, many times, uh, basically means to change or to turn back towards God. Okay, uh, I, I heard a preacher one time that says, now when you repent, you need to do a 360 degree, uh, and that's not what you need to do because they, then you end up just looking the same place, right? It's a 180 degree change. It's a shift that's a shift of your mind. Uh, it's a shift of your heart. Uh, it's a shift and a change in your position away from sin and towards Jesus. That's repentance. And that's what we're invited to do when we're made aware of sin, is to turn, to change, have a change of mind that leads to a change in direction, that leads to a change in behavior and life. I want to lean on real quick um, the two greatest preachers in the history of planet Earth. And I want to show you how, 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 how how primary the idea of repentance was uh, for both of their preaching ministries. Uh, And the first, and this is really why repentance lands in Christianity 101, why we believe it's a very foundational thing that we need to understand. The first preacher is John the Baptist, okay? Uh, Jesus himself said that John the Baptist was the greatest man born of a woman next to Jesus, which is a pretty stout thing to say for Jesus to say about someone. Uh, and so John's a, he's a very unique man among preachers and prophets. Uh, he's one of the very, very few um, besides Jesus, that was actually prophesied about in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, uh, hundreds of years before John is born, prophesies about a very special preacher that is going to come and prepare God's people. He's going to be the, the, quote, forerunner that shows up and he preaches and he gets everybody, uh, he's kind of like the opening show, he gets everybody excited and wound up so that they're ready to receive the Messiah when he comes. And so when John the Baptist shows up, uh, he's preaching around Israel, and he was such a powerful preacher um, that people from all over, rich, poor, old, young, all different people were really drawn to him and his ministry and his sermons. And so he was wildly popular. Uh, People were uh, understanding what he was preaching, which was not always the case for them if they went to the temple. Uh, And so it made sense to them. They were responding. It was changing people's lives, and he was just becoming really kind of somewhat famous as a preacher. And so 
Uh, for a minute, write yourself into the story uh, and pretend that you were there in the first century and you were hearing about just this unbelievable uh, man of God that was preaching and people's lives were changed and he was sucking people from the whole country uh, to come see him. And now you're very, uh, you're curious. And so you, you ask your friends, you find out where John's preaching, uh, you, get, you get yourself over there and there's masses of people, you're straining to hear him, you work your way kind of through the crowds uh, and you get up to the very front and you would probably wonder, like, what in the world is this guy? I going to preach about? What, what is the content of his preaching? What, what is the substance that this very, very famous magnet of a preacher is preaching? And Matthew says this. Uh, so Matthew obviously wrote the book of Matthew. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says this. He says, in those days, John the Baptist, who had been prophesied about hundreds of years before he shows up. He says, he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And then Matthew uses quotations and he says, this was the sum of his preaching. He preached this. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so if your friend said, you got to go hear John, he's unbelievable, he's drawing people in, people's lives are being changed, and you get all excited, you show up, do you know what he was preaching about? He was preaching repentance. That, that was the sum total of his message. Obviously, that wasn't, like there were more words than that, but if you boiled everything he was preaching down, it was repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and so John would be the second greatest preacher. Uh, the first greatest preacher is... One more time. This is just for me <laughs> and for Jesus. Um, <laughs> he's like, y'all can do better. G so, so John the Baptist has done his job, right? He has prepared people. He has preached the gospel. All these people now were excited about Jesus. And then oftentimes as, as, as people preach the gospel, the political and sometimes even the religious leaders, not big fans of that. And so they take John, uh, they, uh, they arrest him, they put him in prison. He has done his job as the forerunner. And, and then in Matthew chapter four, Jesus steps up. He grabs the baton of John the Baptist. Now, imagine, again, you're living in the first century. Your friend's like, you have got to hear this preacher. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth, and uh, he's, he's just, he's unlike anything you've ever heard. His preaching is changing the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And so you get excited. You show up. You're working your way through the crowds. You think, what in the world is he preaching out? What's the substance? What's the content? Matthew describes it like this. Uh, at, this is after John was arrested. It said, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, quote, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, the greatest preacher that has ever lived, was preaching about repentance. So it's a very important thing for us to understand whether you're not a Christian or whether you are a Christian, what in the world does repentance truly mean? Again, try to picture God sending his son to come confront the world in sin. Uh, what are we supposed to do when we sin? And the answer to that question is obviously repent. And that's where we're going to go in just a moment. Um, because in Psalm 51, we get a really a clear and compelling uh, blueprint to show us like what repentance truly is in our hearts. Um, but before we get to that, I want to kind of give you the other options we have. Okay, so if the question is, what do we do? What are we supposed to do 
when we sin. We need to know some natural um, tendencies we have to do other things uh, because there's some things because our hearts are broken because sin has uh, marred us. Uh, there's some other things that we generally tend to do before we repent. Uh, and you find, you'll find all of these in Genesis chapter three, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, God comes to them. You've got the first moment. What on earth are they gonna do when they sin? Uh, and, and a few things that they did, uh, and, and I know that you know this, but I hope that you uh, are reminded of this as we look through here. The same things that they did, we tend to do. It's so funny that nothing is new under the sun, and the same responses they had thousands of years ago are the same things that we can very easily tend towards when we sin. Number one, you see the very first thing they did was they run and hide, okay? What happens when a kid sins? Boom, they run, they try to find a place to hide because they think, well, if they can't find me, then like nothing can happen to me and everything will be okay. So if you look in Genesis 3, 8, it says that uh, they went and they hid they knew they had sinned, and so they're like, we got to get out of here. God can't find us. Uh, and then they hear God walking, uh, and he comes to them. He says, what happened? They're like, God, we, got, we, we hid. Okay, that's what they did, and that is oftentimes what we do, is it not? You do something wrong, oftentimes you will disappear from Christian friends. Uh, you will quit going to church. You'll quit listening to podcasts. You'll quit praying, and, and you'll t try to kind of hide, uh, and normally you know this. That doesn't fix the problem. The problem's still there, and it's festering, uh, but that's a, a normal thing that we do is we try to run and try to hide. If And a couple of these things should be a little bit of a red flag for us. Uh, when these things happen, we should recognize something is going on, and it's an opportunity to repent. So if you find yourself running and hiding from certain things or voices or people, that's a red flag. Number two uh, is they began blaming other people just blame casting. And if you look back at Genesis 3, uh, God comes to them. He comes to Adam. And he says, Adam, what happened? And what does he do? He's like, Eve, it's Eve's fault. I am innocent. It's, uh, it's my wife. She's a mess. You wouldn't even understand if we got into it. And he's like, oh, also, God, you're the one that gave me to her. So it's kind of your fault. All I know is that, it, is that it's not my fault. Okay. Any parents in the room, you ever heard that? And then so he goes to Eve. He's like, okay, what's up? She's like, it's the serpent. It's the serpent's fault. And then all you see is like all this pointing. It's like, oh, everybody's innocent. Nobody did anything. It's just like they're wrong and they're wrong and they're wrong. Now, our culture, it, it just like majors in blaming and, and, and blame shifting for everything, right? It's, well, it's not my fault. You don't understand. And so be careful uh, when you catch yourself blaming. It's like, well, you don't understand. Yeah, I kind of did that or I watched that, or I went there, or I said this, but it's, you don't understand the, the house I grew up in. You know, it's really my, my, my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my sister's fault. And we have this, all these different places that we can, instead of dealing with sin in our heart, uh, just try to deflect by pointing and blaming. This is nothing new, but all of us deal with it in the garden, when they were confronted with sin, they ran and hid when that didn't work. They just started blaming everything and everyone else. Our, our culture is so, like, this is us, are we not? I mean, down to like, if you burn yourself with coffee, you're like, I gotta sue McDonald's because obviously it's their fault. It couldn't have been my fault. And I've just explained like 90% of our justice system, right? It's like just blaming, blaming. Number three, Try to fix it ourselves. Try to fix it ourselves. Uh, when Jesus, or when God shows up, 
in Genesis 3, they run and hide. He finds them. They blame each other. That doesn't work. And so he notices that they now are wearing loincloths, uh, which they had not had on previously. And that was a partial attempt from them to cover their uh, shame, to cover their guilt, and to try to kind of fix things. Now, that's what they did. And there are so many ways um, that when we realize there's something going on in our hearts, we're like, you know what? I don't need help. Uh, I don't need God. I'll just fix it. I'll, I'll try harder next time. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this thing quiet and contained, and I'm going to dig my way out of it on my own. It would be very akin to someone that's sick saying, you know what, I know the hospital's for sick people, but uh, I am going to get myself well before I go. There's so many ways that we, like, instead of repenting, we think, you know what, I, I can do this. I can fix myself. I can manage the situation. I can climb my way out. Uh, and number four uh, options rather than repenting is to twist God's word and to redefine sin. Okay, our culture is also very good at this, and this is normally how it goes. We're confronted, whether that's, sometimes that's, that's internal, sometimes it's external. Internal, it's our conscience or it's the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. External, it's somebody that has told us that. Regardless of where it has come from, one of the things that we can tend to do is just like, okay, well, that's what I do, but oh my goodness, I'm in luck because that's not a sin anymore. It's just, I'm so lucky because all of the things that God wrote down in the Bible and all of the very clear lists of sin, like there's just one, it just happens to be mine, that expired last year. And it's so convenient, right? Like we can do this. And so the culture's like, well, no, no, we have, we have progressed as a culture, which have we? <laughs> have we? You know, but, the, but the world was saying, you know, we've progressed. And so certain things, they're just not sin anymore. Okay, if you want to know what is still sin, don't Google it. You know, don't hop on your brain and say, okay, what is still sin in 2023? Just don't do that. Instead, what? Read your Bible. Because whatever is in there in the New Testament as sin, it's still sin because God nailed it the first time. So if it's talking about sexual sin, anything outside of covenant marriage of a husband and wife, it's still sin. Always has been, always will be. Greed, still sin. Pride, still sin. Selfishness, still sin. Slander, gossip, like you name it. Okay, so very easily we can, instead of doing the godly thing, we can just redefine and try and twist, which again, you see that in Genesis 3. God shows up and, and you can tell that Satan fed this lie and they took it hook, line, and sinker. Well, did God really say? And then they just twist it a little bit. So there's four bad options, okay? Uh, four bad options, run and hide, uh, to blame others, to try and fix it, or to twist God's word and redefine. Option four was the sum of the message that Jesus preached. Option four is what do you do when you sin? The answer is repentance. So let's jump in. Um, I'll, I'll catch you up to speed uh, for Psalm 51. I know many of you know this uh, story. You know the background uh, to Psalm 51, but probably some of you don't. So I'll catch you up to speed a little bit. Uh, Psalm 51 is David. Okay, King David, he was known as a very good king uh, in uh, Israelite history, a uh, very godly man. He's even known as a man after God's own heart. How many of you would like that title if God applied that to you? I would. That, that's him. Uh, and and in, in Psalm 51, you find out that he had just done some 
horrible, horrible, wicked, sinful things. And Psalm 51 is basically his journal uh, of, of becoming aware of that and walking through godly repentance. But what had happened was, that it's the backdrop to Psalm 51, is uh, it, was, it was during a time of battle, and so not only was he king, but be, by virtue of being king, he was also commander-in-chief of their armies. So he had sent all the armies out uh, to war, and very uncharacteristic of David, he stayed back at the palace, and, and you know the story, he went up on the roof, uh, and he was bored, and he looks down across the street on the roof of another building uh, is a woman bathing naked, and he lusted. And when I said this, no lie, in the first service, uh, some boys in the room perked up, and the, I saw them ask them, I'm like, what, that's in there? And then they just started like going through their Bibles, and I got so nervous, because they're like picture Bibles, okay? So... Anyways, another story for another day. Uh, so he looks at her, and it's very clear in the Bible. She was naked. He lusted. He sent his servants, called her over, committed adultery with her, slept with her, conceived a child, right? That's bad. That's sinful. That's wicked. It doesn't end there because then he does what? He doesn't repent. He tries to fix it. And so he's like, you know what? I don't need to repent. Uh, I'm just going to fix it. And so I'm going to call her husband, Uriah, who is actually out serving me in battle. And I'm going to get him back here, make sure he stays at his house so that he will think um, as he's doing the math that this is his kid. Uh, Uriah is such an honorable man. He won't do it. He sleeps at the king's uh, door. And uh, he's like, well, dad, gummit, that didn't work. You know what? I'll try again. And so his next plan was literally to have Uriah murdered. So he sends him back to war and he tells the leaders of the army, hey, tell everybody this plan, but not Uriah. When it's in this heated moment of battle, everybody pull back. The enemy consumes Uriah and kills him. That's David's answer to his sin. And then you, you can keep going in, in Samuel, how Samuel recounts this. It's just horrible things happen when David sins. And it actually takes him a while before he kind of realizes, I've done some bad things. Uh, now, if you, if you walk away from God, it is, it is amazing the things that we can become blind to uh, until something, really the Holy Spirit in us, uh, convicts us. Like, it's, it's unfathomable unfathomable to me how David could be so oblivious to the fact that adultery and murder is pretty bad, but then God has to send a, 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 like a personal prophet to David. And so God sends Nathan, and, and Nathan has this whole story that uh, basically is geared to, to help David see that he's actually a sinner. He's done some very, very bad things. And so after he becomes aware of that, now he is confronted with his sin he finally, he repents. And he writes about it in Psalm 51, and we're going to work our way through it. So if you're in Psalm 51, help me out and say ready. David says this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. The first thing you see is that David believes in and leans on the mercy and the love of God. See, if you believe in and you lean on the mercy and love of God, you don't have to defend yourself because 
if, if, if you're a sinner and you've done wicked things and God is merciful, don't plead innocence, plead God's mercy and love. So he was so wildly convinced. And this is pre-cross, right? We've got the cross as a demonstration that God actually is merciful and loving. He didn't even have that, and yet he was so wildly convinced that if he would actually come clean, then God would meet him with mercy and love. Listen, some of you have a hard time repenting of sin because you don't believe God is merciful or loving. So Jesus preached, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but he also preached over and over, parable after parable after parable, trying to convince us that God the Father is in fact merciful and loving. He didn't just say repent, he gave us a picture of a God that is safe to repent to. Y'all with me? Like an accurate view of God really kind of fixes our heart when we sin. Because what you do when you sin, I've said this for years now, reveals what you believe about God. And if we run and we hide and we blame, it reveals that we don't really believe God's merciful. We don't really believe he's loving if you run from God when you sin. But if you believe those things, then when you sin, what do you do? You repent and you run to God. So David was convinced. He, he believed in and was leaning on the mercy and the love of God. I love it when he says, according to your, he doesn't try to build a case for himself. He just owns it. Do y'all see there in verse three, for I know my transgressions. He doesn't blame anybody. He just, he owns it. He's like, it's mine. I did it. I'm pleading your mercy, your love. Verse four, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I think it's safe to say that we need to know what, what David's not saying with that phrase because like, for him to say against you and you only have I sinned, he's not saying, oh, I didn't sin against Bathsheba, I didn't sin against Uriah. Like, super obvious that he sinned against a lot of people. A lot of people. There's a lot of collateral damage to his sin. You and I are the same way. Other people are involved in our lives and our sin affects other people. So he's not saying that he's innocent. What he is saying is that at the root of all sin is a sin against God. That's important to know. If you lie, cheat, steal, whatever it might be that's horizontal, at the root of that is a sin between us and God that has ramifications for other people. He realized his sin was against God. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. That, That means born. I was brought into the world. I was born in iniquity or in sin. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What does he say? It it seems to me that David understood that his sin problem was way, way deep down. That he didn't have necessarily a lust problem. He didn't have a sex problem. He didn't have a murder problem. He had a problem that went way, way all the way down in his heart. You see two things. Um, Verse 6 or verse five, he's basically saying, listen, I showed up a sinner, (laughs) right? Parents in the room said, it's like, where did the sin come from? Well, it's not just action. It's actually in our nature. 
Our nature has been so deeply affected that we were born sinners. That's our nature, so that's what we choose to do. We're sinners by nature and choice. So David's like, the the problem is so, so, so deep. I was born with it. And then he talks about verse 6, that God delights in truth in the inward being, in the secret heart. I don't even know what that means. Like, it's just so deep. It's like, what's underneath, what's underneath, what's underneath? That's where the problem is, and that's where the solution has to be. See, this is why we can't realize, I've got a sin problem. I should probably act better, right? I should probably stop doing this and start doing this because that's dealing with the actions and not dealing with the the root cause. It's so important to know where sin comes from. It sprouts from somewhere David says it comes from our heart, which is the place that God wants to get, that you want to try to maybe sometimes stiff arm him and keep him out of, that he wants to get down into the, listen, if if you want a memory verse for this week, this is it, 51 verse 6, you delight in truth in the inward being, why? Because God knows unless he gets down into our hearts and and fixes and changes things there, there's no hope for true life change. Like David had such good theology about how deep the problem of sin runs. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Do y'all remember snow? (laughs) You're like... We don't remember rain. I have a hard time remembering what dew is like. It's just, it's rough. Uh, I love this picture. Honestly, I think um, that that the idea of like white snow is juxtaposed against the, the, like crimson, red, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen red snow or blood on snow, but it pops. It's red, and once snow is red, it's really hard to clean. You know, you clean it, you wash it, the best you've got is like a dark pink snow, right? So what he's saying is like, listen, if God, if God actually forgives me, it's going to be like it, it was never even there. White as snow. What's whiter than snow? Some of y'all are like, well, I went to the beach this summer and <laughs> good, my legs. Like, what's whiter than snow? Sorry. Not, like, nothing. It's such an unbelievable thing that, listen, a murderer was convinced that if God forgave him, it'd be like it didn't even happen. He says, God, if you wash me, I'm going to be clean. Uh, I'm going to be whiter than snow. He was convinced of God's deep forgiveness. We've talked, again, we've talked about this for years. The cross was so brutal that Jesus was enduring sin down to the most wicked things that man could ever do. Why? So that he, his, his forgiveness could be that deep as well. I talked to somebody between services, and they have a friend that's, they believe everything about the gospel, but just can't fathom that God would forgive them because they've done too much. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You're not stronger than Jesus. David, I mean, could you imagine the psychological and emotional place that David must have been in, having murdered someone and now got a kid on the way, and just like his sin was all public. Everybody knew. And and yet he was so met with the mercy and the love of God, even knowing what he had done, he knew that God would wipe it away. It's just like, like a fresh blanket of snow that's pure white. The Old Testament talks about forgiveness. He says that he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's far. 
like you know this, they never meet. You go east, you could just go east forever. It's not the way with north and south. You go north far enough, you're going to be heading south at some point. East and west is not like that. Like because of the cross, when someone repents, they turn from sin to Christ. He gives this unbelievable, unmerited, perfect, all the way down to the bottom forgiveness and wipes the, cl- the slate clean. Someone in this room needs to know that, needs to believe that. Verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Uh, but before I keep going, because I'm going to go verses 8 through 12 here. Uh, well, no, here. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face, he says, from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Why is he praying this? Why is he saying things like, God, my my joy's gone. I would love it back. um, Created me a a clean heart. Renew my spirit. Restore to me the joy. Like, why is he saying that? Because he had, he had done Everything that our culture and his both say, if you do this, you will have joy and meaning and peace and fulfillment. If you will just reject God's authority, you don't need anybody telling you what to do. You're your own God. You're your own boss. You reject authority and you follow your flesh and you do what seems good. And the world would say, that's what's actually going to lead to joy. And you and I know if you do that, then sin steals the very thing that it promises, doesn't it? And so sin had stolen, like, he should be the happiest man on the planet if the the narrative of our culture was right, but it just doesn't work that way. And so he wants joy, and he wants gladness, and he wants his heart restored. He wants all these good things, And, and what does David see as the connection? Repentance. See, this is why, like, we have to change the way that we see repentance. It's the key to joy, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He doesn't say that he lost his salvation. He doesn't say restore my salvation. He didn't lose his salvation because of sin. He lost its joy. Some of you, if you're like, you know, I've been a Christian. I just, my joy is waning. Uh, my gladness is gone. I don't feel like God and I are connected. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe ask the Holy Spirit to filter through and see if there's any sin. That's not always what is causing it, but oftentimes it is. He's convinced that God restores joy through repentance. Listen to Acts chapter 3. This is Peter uh, preaching. Uh, this is post-resurrection, a few weeks after Jesus rises from the dead. Uh, Peter, the apostle, says this. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he fulfilled. He's like, the Old Testament says uh, Jesus is going to suffer on a cross, and he did. And then Peter says this, repent. Turn. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come. Like, does that pop into your mind when you hear about repentance? Does it often pop in your mind? Oh, my goodness. That produces refreshing and joy. It did for David. It did for David. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Then, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Okay, he, he's not talking about transgressors and sinners like he's looking down on like, you know, I, I am 
I am perfect and holy, and if, if I repent, then these sinners will repent. No, he's like, he, he knows he's on level ground. But, but what he's saying is that he knows if he responds well to God, then that's going to be a testimony and a story that's going to bless someone else, that they're going to see and learn uh, humility through him. They're going to see and embrace the mercy and the love of God through him. He's like, as I do this, then other people are going to see and, and other people will turn to you. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing Everybody say sing. This is a good one. <laughs> All right, let me, I'm going to press on this just for a moment, and then guess what we're going to do? Sing, okay? David, he, he basically is going to say, like, okay, God, you, you forget, like, he, he had been forgiven of adultery and murder, and he's about to say, because of that, like, nobody in the room is going to sing louder than me, right? Because why? Because forgiven people, true worshipers, we sing loud. See, we have a problem really singing and worshiping when we don't really think we're that bad. Okay, David, like, he was a singer, and he was a man's man. I know in West Texas sometimes uh, there's just kind of this idea that, well, you know what, you know, real men don't sing, you know. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> David was a, ma a man's man, okay? Like, what did he do on Monday? He killed Goliath with a slingshot and cut off his head. What did he do Tuesday? He stayed up all night at a campfire protecting his sheep, killed a bear and a lion. Cool. What did he do Wednesday? He wrote poetry and he played on his harp and he sang. He's just a well-rounded dude, right? So you're like, oh, I'm not, no, you're not more manly than David. David's saying, this is what he says. I love it. Just take it in. Listen to David. He was so moved by God's love and God's forgiveness that he's like, listen, I'm going to sing. My tongue will sing aloud of your, for, your, your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you do, not, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. Uh, according to David, true repentance results in deep and loud worship which is what God is after. True repentance when we feel, not condemnation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but when we feel the weight of our sin and we confess and we repent and we're reminded of the gospel, it should stir us up to sing very loudly. Where much is forgiven, like, like there's much, much love. So, I want to bring this all back just kind of to us in the room. What about you, okay? This is, I'm I told you, <laughs> it's applicable to all of us. Uh, maybe you are in the camp. You're like, I just, I would not consider myself a Christian. Uh, I, I'm curious about Jesus. I'm curious about Christianity. Um, the, the gospel is this, that God is perfect and sinless and holy, and there's something so deeply infected in our hearts that it affects everything it's sin. It has broken our relationship. We can't hide. We can't blame. We can't fix our way out. If that's you, and for the first time, the Holy Spirit might make you aware that you're a sinner and you need someone else to save and rescue and fix. What do you do? Okay? Repent. What an, what an unbelievable offer that we don't have to try to fix it. 
We don't have to hide. We, don't have, we can just simply turn to Jesus, and he comes sweeping in and does all the work. Okay, so if that's you, literally, that's, that's the invitation. If you've become aware for the first time that your sin has separated you from God, what do you do? You, you repent. You turn from your sin and trust in Christ. How about if you're a Christian? And, and, and I pray that in these next few moments, if we're, if we're honest and humble and ask the Holy Spirit to filter our lives and to make us aware of our sin, what do you do? Repent. You turn from that sin. You trust in Christ. You'd be surprised at how quickly the joy comes flooding back in. Let's pray, and then we're going to do something a little bit different and special by way of response. Let me invite you to bow your head with me. Father, what an unbelievable gift repentance is. God, that you could have left us to the other options we had and just fixing ourselves is not going real well. So we thank you that you have just given us the chance to turn from sin, trust in you, and you do all the work. God, I, I truly do pray that by your spirit this morning, someone might uh, become wildly aware of their need for you to do something amazing and miraculous in their heart. And I pray that you would give them the humility and faith simply to turn to you, to repent of their sin, to trust in Christ, that your death was for them, that you are full of mercy and love. And for the Christians in the room, God, I pray that you would convict us where we have sin, all different types of sin, whatever it is, that you would help us to see that and that you would draw us in. I'm reminded of uh, your word that says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. Would your kindness so overwhelm us that we do turn and I pray that you would fill us with your joy. Love you. I'm so grateful for this church and for these people and I pray this um, through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.